Hey, AGs, are you ready to add a touch of luxury to your home, just like the Real Housewives? BCC Villa Rosa. Introducing Home Threads, where style meets comfort for the ultimate glam experience. Picture this. Chic furniture, one could even say chic c'est la vie, that mirrors the elegance of your favorite housewives' mansions. With exclusive designer collections and a curated selection, HomeThreads.com has everything you need to make your space as fabulous as the housewives themselves and always at the best value. Unlike Joe Gorka's initial attempts at windows, perhaps. Now, I have to tell you, I know that Padma is no longer on Top Chef, and may her memory be a blessing, but nothing has made me feel better prepared to host future seasons and potentially even iterations of Top Chef Upper East Side Edition than the Henkel's clad 10-piece stainless steel cookware set in silver that I got along with a two-piece stainless steel ceramic nonstick fry set from Zwilling thanks to Home Threads. It makes me feel like I am finally ready to be a top chef one egg over easy at a time. They're gorgeous. They look great in the apartment. For someone like me who lives in New York City which with a very small space, what I have in my kitchen is important because guests who come to visit me see it. And I'm so, so thankful to have discovered Home Threads because now I feel fully prepared to make eggs a la Francais. Head over to HomeThreads.com today and live your best Real Housewives life. Go to HomeThreads.com slash AndyScrolls and get a code for 15% off your first order. Again, that's HomeThreads.com slash AndyScrolls for a 15% off code off your first order. HomeThreads, love where you live. I don't know that I prefer dogs over people, but I'm always ready to take a bitch for a walk. (laughs) I was so in mood and then I'm like, okay, hold on. Okay. (laughs) Take a moment. Take a moment. Everyone's deserving of the comeback they're willing to earn, but clap back at me and you will get burned. I just, you just like ran me over with a car and I'm extremely into it. You guys, it's Andy's Girls. It's episode 224-ish. That might be the single best tagline that someone has done 200 plus episodes in. And the performance of it was A++. So I am extremely here. I am very here for the guest uh, that I have on today's app. You know her as the co-host of Daily Blast Live. She also hosts the podcast and social media show Comeback with Erica Cobb. And I am already, already ready to say come back to Andy's Girls and we're only just beginning. Erica Cobb, welcome to the People's People's Couch. Oh, Sam. I am so <laughs> excited. Like, I am just like, you don't even know. I was like, okay, this is a certified Bravo-holic. This certified. Stepping into the sacred space of royalty. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. am so happy. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. I am honored to have you. We just do need to tell the listeners that you have a home studio that is the most beautiful thing. <laughs> 
setup, like literally and figuratively the most beautiful setup I have ever seen for a podcaster. And I really need to talk to my people. And by people, I mean myself, because holy crap, it is. How would you describe this to an AG? I mean, the, the visual of it is luxe and I mean my god just gorge Uh, I appreciate it yes so this is my sacred space in my home it's my home studio I have a background in morning radio so I'm used to like every couple years not having a gig Mm -hmm. and I said I am going to build this studio in my home so that I can work from anywhere um, mm-hmm. and well, work from home, but I can like broadcast <laughs> anywhere, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, what I did was, um, I did upholstered walls to create mm-hmm. the soundproofing and mm-hmm. I have like a little bench. It's like a very pink mm-hmm. rose goldish type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was telling you that the upholstery was actually inspired by one of, Can- one of Candy's rooms from oh Real Housewives gosh. of Atlanta. I mean, talk about spiritual bedroom candy. The vibe is like so fabulous, very feminine, which is my thing. As I say this recording in a literal Bruce Springsteen hoodie that is in major disrepair. But I spiritually to me, it is exactly an identical vibe. And I am extremely, extremely here for it. Did you... Did you tell your the person who built it? Were you like, um, do you know who Candy Burris Tucker is? Can you please just replicate what she is doing right now? No, I didn't. Actually, it was really funny because I had hired someone to help with like the exterior of our home. And she mm-hmm. was like, oh, um, my husband does like some jobs here and there. And I was like, well, can you just put some stuff up on my walls just to do the soundproofing? And this like burly guy comes over and he's like, I mean, no offense, but this is really kind of ugly. (gasps) Oh, really? And he's like, don't you want something that's nicer? And I was like, well, yeah, but I don't think I could get this. And I showed him this picture of Candy's wall, of the upholstery. And I'm (sighs) like, I can't afford that. And he goes, oh, I used to own an upholstery company. for you he's like I'll even cut you a deal we'll do the whole room and I was like that is divine intervention because I would not have been able to afford what this costs <laughs> like, and I was just so appreciative oh my god it must just get your vibe going even before you start recording like that I it's giving me everything I have ever needed in my entire life and we're zooming right now you know what I'm saying like this is a plus plus incredible incredible was the fans saying that um I am extremely into it I have so many questions for you first off where are you recording from where are you? So I live in Denver, Colorado. I'm originally from Chicago, and I moved to Denver actually about 12 years ago for a morning radio job. Oh and things have just worked out for me to stay here. That's incredible. I actually, the last guest that I had on Andy's Girls, Annalie Ashford, is also from Colorado. We're getting a big Colorado energy this week on AG. Hey, I say Chicago born, Colorado raised. I'm into it. I mean, I have to ask, you know, how's your pandemic going? How's your pandem? How's your how's your journey? Lord, um, you know, I feel like I'm I'm very blessed in so many ways. Um, but just like millions of Americans, I experienced mm. major loss. 
Um, I have a couple mm-hmm. of relatives and friends who were here at the beginning of pandemic and oh, they God. aren't here any longer. So I do appreciate that people are dealing with all sorts of trauma in in very different ways. So I think mm-hmm. we just have to be mindful of that as we're engaging as the world reopens. Totally. And, you know, if you can get vaccinated, it's the single best way to keep yourself, your loved ones and strangers who are also loved safe. And it's I'm so sorry to hear that. It's this has been unbelievable an unbelievable experience for a lot of people. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And, you know, it has been different for everyone. I will say Mm -hmm. for me, getting vaccinated really came down to the idea that mortality was an issue. Um, Mm -hmm. It was something that was more of, you know, top of mind for me. And so Mm -hmm. I and my husband got vaccinated along with my family because I just felt the clock ticking on those really Mm -hmm. beautiful moments. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Amidst so much chaos and, you know, trauma, truly, what have you found has helped you escape or reconnect because we're so isolated right now. And even as, you know, I live in New York City and things are starting to open up again and, you know, vaccinated levels could be bigger, but people are really able to get access to the vaccine. And so we're trying to figure out this modified new life. It also you know, means that things that we used to love before COVID may not land the same way after. Is there a way that you have been able to do your own self-care, something that's either new, just begun during COVID or something that helped you before and is maybe helping you in a different way now? Is there something that you've been able to, to really kind of rely on for relief? Yeah, you know, I really dove into the creative element um, because Mm. when I'm creating, that's when I feel like I have the most control. And over Mm -hmm. the past year, um, we have just been stripped of a a lot of the things that we were in control of. Mm -hmm. Um, So I spent so much time in my studio. um, But I also really made those connections with people that... I wasn't connecting as deeply with, um, Mm -hmm. meaning like my siblings who were all over the country and um, just making that time. And then also being so intentional when we finally were able to get together about Mm. like, okay, well, my younger brother just moved to Washington state. Like now he gets Easter, you know, this Mm -hmm. is, um, you know, we are always going to have Thanksgiving. My parents are going to have, you know, so we were just more intentional about things. And I think by, planning that way Mm -hmm. um it gives us something to look forward to whereas the past year and change we just haven't been looking forward to things Mm -hmm. i mean i have to say shout out to my friend james who is coming to town he lives in la and no pressure to james who also happens to be an ag but i am building like a hair appointment cut color where are we going to do outdoor dining is there outdoor music where I have not actually done a social experience since pre-March 2020. And again, no pressure to James. <laughs> it's 100% listening because he gives me feedback on, on every episode. But I, I mean, I am very excited. Like I haven't gotten a manicure. I used to get, there are two things you can get cheap in New York, flowers and mani-pedis. And I have not gotten my, you know, 24 
delightful, terrific Manny Petty in, well, it's, it's not, it is a, this is a crisis Bethany, you know, launched for really important and impactful work that she's doing, but it also is related to my toes. So I am just like, I'm very, there are things to look forward to now, which involve other people, you know, and we're all focused on doing that safely. But I think that's something incredible, you know, incredible. And you should be excited about it. And I'm glad that we're feeling those feelings about the things that we took for granted at one, one point, you know, there's an mm-hmm. excitement there and, and good for mm-hmm. you for going out there and doing all of that. Thank you. And I do believe, I believe this with every fiber of my being that it does not actually cost money when it helps us feel good. There's no money required. So, you know, am I thinking and trying to convince James to go with me to afternoon tea at the Baccarat Hotel, which is so unbelievably almost magically overpriced and they've added an additional premium because of COVID. Yes. Is it going to cost a million dollars? A hundred percent it is. But you know what? That's also the location where I met PK just a couple years ago and memories are priceless. Right. And here's the thing too, that we just are not saying enough. Anytime I walk out my front door, I am doing something great. I am stimulating the economy. Okay. That's what you are doing, girl. You are stimulating the economy and it is needed and you are you are an amazing American. You know what? I agree with you on that. I am an amazing American. I am stimulating the economy. I thought to myself, how can I make a difference in this world? The other day, I walked my ass down to my favorite vintage jewelry jewelry store, Pippin Vintage in Chelsea, and I tried on an Art Deco emerald and diamond dinner ring. And, you know, we discussed it. We realized I don't have any money for this. And also, I am not responsible enough to own an emerald, which if you guys are curious, that is one of the more delicate and fragile um, gemstones. And, you know, it was a little bit of a side eye from the people at Pippin when I tried it on. They were like, this looks gorgeous on you, but how are you going to train yourself to be responsible enough to take care of an emerald? And I said, you are correct. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to leave this in the case. And I'm just going to have to settle for diamonds, which are, in fact, the most durable of any stone. And that is a sacrifice that I am making to make New York City great again. You know, that's all I can do. Thank you. It's really, it it almost brings a tear to my eye, but I am going to make that, I am going to challenge myself to buy another diamond at some point this summer, maybe, possibly. Um, Patreon.com slash Andyscrolls. Help us, help us help New York and also my ears or a ring, a finger, a bracelet, an anklet situation, which truly doesn't make sense when you talk about, you know, fine jewelry, but maybe we could start a new experience, a new chapter for New York. That's opulence at its finest. When you get something beautiful and you just wear it around your your ankles or your toes. I mean, again, and shout out Catbird. I do actually have a gold anklet that I love. And sometimes I throw that bad boy on there and I feel a lot better. And there we go. Um, So that was a nice little sigh. <laughs> I was with you. I'm so- Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I do have to ask you, so has your Bravo viewing changed at all during COVID? Have you found yourself enjoying the shows differently uh, relating to what we're experiencing or just what you need as a person? 
So I have been a Bravo-holic, if you will, not certified, mm. but just self-proclaimed. Love, into it. For about seven, eight years now. And wow. during the pandemic, I just, especially in the beginning, it was nice to see what people were doing pre-pandemic, like kind mm -hmm. of revisiting that space because mm -hmm. it wasn't a part of the storyline in the beginning. Um, but as we've gotten more and more content, I definitely, um, you know, especially when it came to Real Housewives of Atlanta, um, mm -hmm. it it really, I had to be in a certain space to consume mm -hmm. it because mm -hmm. we were re revisiting, you know, last summer and social justice and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And, and um, it just felt different because it felt more real and accessible. Um, but at the same time, I think that my binge watching definitely went up because I needed that reprieve anywhere I could mm -hmm. find it. And I think that all the franchises did a pretty good job at finding that balance between mm -hmm. the reality and the reality that we seek when we're watching Bravo. Mm -hmm. Do you watch all of the Housewives franchises or are there any that you have stopped watching even just during COVID? Did you say you watch all of them? Uh, all mm -hmm. of them. Yes. Amen. Um, <laughs> and some of them I've been more in tune with for a longer period of time than others. Mm -hmm. um, Dallas, I really had to like give it one, two, three chances. But then mm -hmm. during the pandemic, I was like, yeah, I'm going all in. I need this. Mm -hmm. it, does it deserve it does it deserve that we're all struggling right now we're like why did we why were we watching what are we what's happening here why don't why doesn't anyone know why does literally zero people literally zero people understand what this show is supposed to be or why are they all there I mean a real crisis of confidence over in uh, over in Texas, somewhat unnecessarily. But we really, I mean, you could just have Tiffany Moon, mm. Mama D, Deandra is mm. going to go either way. Like mm -hmm. those three are mm -hmm. really what's bringing the show. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I just kind of take it, you know, for what it is. Yeah, it is something wild when you're watching a subpar season and then the cast makes it worse online. Like, was it not bad enough what we were watching? Like, wasn't that punishment? Now you're like saying these terribly inappropriate things to each other, making me feel worse about an untenable situation, which is the artistic disservice that they're giving to us each week. Like, could we not just have one of these things? Did we really need to BOGO with this? I mean, if there was a promo code and it was feeling shitty, I feel like that is what was applied to our experience as content creators alone. My Lord, I can't. Um, can I ask you a question? It's it's something that I selfishly like to ask people their first time, and uh, hopefully this will be your first of many. I can already feel it. I'm very, I'm very into this energy, very into these vibes. Um, you know, there's a question that I like asking people because I think it's a little bit of a window into how someone sees themselves or um, how they are connecting to the shows that they watch. Is there a spiritual housewife that you connect with? It doesn't necessarily need to be your favorite housewife. It's someone that you see yourself in or someone who behaves in a manner that you connect with possibly as like a oh god I want to stay 
I want this to be a teachable moment so that I don't live a life like person X, Y, or Z. Is there someone that kind of comes to mind that's been your spiritual HW? I think that's kind of a trick question because Mm. um, I definitely, in terms of veterans, Mm -hmm. Candy Burris Tucker Mm -hmm. is like my spirit guy. Like Mm -hmm. I love how she can take anything Mm-hmm. and make it into something successful and yes. beautiful and vindicating. But over the past few weeks, Ebony K. Williams is sharing that space because girlfriend came in, talked about her fiance and her and her fiance breaking up, hiding her car from the repo man, her FICO score. Oh my God. Like her issues with employment, like her situation with work. And the whole time, oh, even being a Hooters waitress, I was like, I check all those boxes. She is me and I am her. Like, I, my whole brand has come back. So I'm like, yes, I am all about being very forthcoming and putting all your stuff out there, controlling the narrative so no one can construct this, like, two-bit narrative for you. So I am Mm -hmm. feeling her as well. Now I'm a hybrid of Candy and Ebony. Ebony is such an interesting case because she came in obviously immediately connected with Leah and it's sort of a benefit to them both that they're united, especially because they're part of this like new generation of housewives on New York. But she handles herself and thinks so differently from Leah that I wonder if there will be a crisis point at the future when they're different ways of even connecting to people become a little tense just even in how ebony was speaking with ramona she understood that ramona was full of shit she knew that ramona was lying but that wasn't the purpose of her having conversation with ramona and asking questions she wasn't thinking how do i shame this person she was thinking we got the answer we all knew was right what's the truth underneath versus Leah, who was like, shame, 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 which PS very connected to Leah in that sense. I'm like, I totally get you there. I would be, it would be, I could not let the mouse go in that context, but it, they do have a very different way of looking at things and reacting to people, which I think is really, really interesting. Yeah. Well, first of all, let the mouse go. Okay. Let the mouse (laughs) go now. Um, (laughs) that was a terrible sudden impression. No, I love it. But I, I do think that this is so interesting and so amazing that reality Mm. TV is evolving as we, as a society are waking up and evolving because Mm -hmm. the truth is Ebony can't handle that situation the same way that Leah can handle that situation. Leah is in a situation where one, She has at least a year of history with these women, Mm -hmm. but Leah's also white. And as much as people don't want to talk about race, even though it's like impossible not to, especially (laughs) what's happening in the world right now. Of course. um, Ebony can't come on and be about it and coming for Ramona like that. Like Mm -hmm. that is not going to end well for her because there is obviously this stigma out there about being an angry black woman. So when you're navigating spaces like this, and I feel the same way, you know, as a black woman in media, I do not react 
most of the time, the way that some of my colleagues who aren't of color react. Mm. Um, the first time I went viral, um, which was a crazy situation, and I didn't know about it for quite a long time, but there was this whole context and, and um, conversation that was happening. And it was because I was in a debate with a white male colleague. And although he elevated his voice and I didn't elevate my voice, he kept referring to my behavior as heightened. Like I was upset and I wasn't upset. I was just trying to get my point across. So when you're in those spaces, you have to be so cognizant of how you're actually doing the damn thing because then the damn thing turns into she's difficult she's attacking you know you don't want to give people ammunition for that especially you know one or two episodes in it's the weaponization of emotion that is i would think unbelievable it's essentially impossible to navigate because when you have a relationship with someone or you're meeting new people and you're a new housewife on the show you're the first full-time um black housewife on the real housewives of new york and you know the parameters that have been set by like society plus the fact that you're with a very specific group of women i.e ramona that is such an obstacle, especially when you're on reality TV, where one would think there's so much value in expressing how you feel. But it's such a complicated dynamic that white women and specifically white housewives will never have to deal with it just not in the same way just honestly not in the same way right and i appreciate um the fact that leah is so adamant about it mm. you know she what she really is earning her allyship mm -hmm. and i know i've been in situations where i may not have been as you know demonstrative about saying or defending whatever the conversation was but i might have a girlfriend who is white who is go like completely about it because she's exercising a form of her privilege by being like no it's actually more than that and knowing that there isn't going to be the same ramifications for her that yes. they are there are for me so i al almost see it sometimes as like a team effort you know like mm -hmm. let's use what we can because i'll just you know talk it to death <laughs> but you know i try to like maintain some sense of co composure mm -hmm. and there has been a reckoning for a, a lot of women including women with quote-unquote progressive values who are trying to grapple with the idea that this environment is and real and does exist. And there are people who get it, people who didn't think about specific examples um, uh, until it was told to them, which is another risk that the weight and stress of having to explain it to someone without having the benefit of knowing if this is even a safe space in which to have that conversation. It's incredibly complicated. And I look at Beverly Hills, I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, Garcelle's conversation with Kyle before we talk about what happened with fucking Sutton. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, so I watched that reunion. And when Kyle came for Giselle and said mm -hmm. the thing about the $5,000, I was like, 
clutching my gold chains. Okay. Mm. Um, I was like, no, this is not happening right now. Yeah, it was tough. It felt like a lot and it felt like it was the only thing that she felt comfortable saying. And I do actually believe that she would have said it to any of the other women. I think that if she had that, but I was also like, I'm very proud of how Giselle and Eb- Garcelle, or, Giselle, Garcelle, sorry, Garcelle and Ebony are navigating these spaces because you don't want to be, you know, the person who's correcting people all the time. Like that is not fun for people. Okay. They aren't doing it because this is like the way in they're doing it because they have to be able to sleep at night. And when somebody Mm. says something real sideways and you feel some type of way about it, then you have to at least have that conversation. And that Mm. was a teachable moment. But I also was like, Garcelle, girl, why didn't you pay that before you left? Do you (laughs) know that stuff was going to happen? Like, man, no, if that were me, I would have been tracking down. Even if they told me, like, okay, we're going to send it, all the information in your house, I'd have been like, no, here is my credit card. I am paying this tonight. Where is my receipt? Because you already know. You already know. She she slipped a little bit. She slipped. But I bet you it's not going to happen again. Wasn't it, though, also, was it a silent auction? No, it was an auction auction because we saw it play out. I don't know if I was in like a weird position with this is just because I'm, I guess, an asshole. I wouldn't be. I don't know if I'd be like, do I really need a trip with like Kai at Kai? Do I really need to be bidding to this? But of course, bidding for this. But of course, you know, it's a charitable event and it's great. And Garcelle was showing that she was the bigger person. And I do agree with you. I think that Kyle would have used it regardless because she wanted to weaponize it. But what Kyle didn't understand was. Even if that was the case, your intent doesn't matter if the impact is far greater. And what Garcelle was explaining to her was, I, you know, I want to know, would you say this to somebody? Would you say this to a white woman? I, I want to know that. But you also need to understand that regardless of your answer, it still adds a, a layer of complication to this stereotype that you know I wrote down because I thought it was so interesting when she said this and I'm abs I'm extremely confident that I don't have it anywhere uh near me but oh when she was talking about Garcelle uh needing to discussing how to uh her focus on internalizing anger and how she's trying to work on no longer doing that because she understands that's the the harm that that can do to her spirit. She said in um, relation to a stigma associated with anger and the quote unquote angry black woman, she says, we haven't claimed it, but we have been labeled with it, which I thought was such a powerful way. I mean, language is everything. And as soon as she said that, I was like, geez, that is unbelievably complicated and you're talking about this on a reality show like these this these are really real topics that we're discussing over brunch you know right but see that's the thing if these women are going to come into our homes every week and say that they're a friend group I would expect that friend groups are having these conversations now Mm -hmm. is it very uncomfortable and it's got to be like 
a crazy space to be in in this climate? Yeah, because everyone's afraid of being canceled. But I don't think that Garcelle could have gotten that point across without asking Kyle that question directly. Mm -hmm. And the truth was, Garcelle was hurt by that. And that's Mm -hmm. how she felt about it. And if that's how she felt about it, as a, quote, friend, you have to be open to engaging with your friend to say, yo, I messed up. Okay, like I never even thought about that. But you know what? That's my bad because I need to think about things that maybe aren't in my realm. I need to be Mm -hmm. empathetic because the truth is Garcelle is constantly having to be empathetic and maybe turning the other cheek and letting things roll off her back on a regular basis because Mm -hmm. she's was the only minority in the group. So Mm -hmm. I think that this is a very teachable moment. And I actually liked the way that it was handled to a point. I thought that the, can I get the tomato salad? It was like (laughs) a little, like I'm looking at editing. Like did, is that how that went? Cause that felt a little Mm -hmm. forced, Um, Mm -hmm. but I'm glad the conversation was had. Yeah, it's something that Brian Moylan talks about on uh, in his book, which just came out, The Housewives, which was like unpacking um, all things Real Housewives, the the uh, beginning of how these shows were created, how they're handled behind the scenes. And it's something that production and the network really love, which is making sure that there are these real moments in quotes in the middle of incredibly complicated conversations. So it's like, the server didn't just wander by like there was somebody telling them to go and like this is the moment to do the thing and I personally always love hearing what they order I am one of those people where I'm like I want to know exactly what you are about to eat or have a bite of before you start screaming you know like I do want to know what kind of avocado salad that is yes thank you so much and what's on the side perfect thank you so that I know when I stock that restaurant Next time I'm in L.A., I'm going to get whatever the fuck they were ordering so that I can feel very connected to this journey. I I feel you, but it's also got to be tougher for you when they never get to the eating part. Because sometimes that happens and you're like, Mm -hmm. you just wasted all that food. Nobody left with a doggy bag or nothing. No, they just go straight. And it's like, did they know that that was going to happen at that point? Don't even look at the menu. Be like, give me something on the left because I know I'm never going to see it. I'm going to sit down, start talking to Kyle and who knows where this will go. And maybe we'll skip the food and go straight into like a bottle of champs or something like who's or God forbid. No, Kyle doesn't drink champs. A tray of margaritas. And we'll see like a little salty, a little on the rocks. But, you know, a little little bit of a zest there, too. Um. It felt like that scene as sort of an observer to this, it felt like it was it was it went as well as it possibly could. And looking at Kyle's posture, even in this the trio scene at the end of the episode where she's talking with Crystal and Sutton, it didn't feel like I don't know why it was so focused on Kyle's physicality, but she it felt like she was physically open to having this conversation and continuing it with Crystal and Sutton. It felt like there was something about her that felt relaxed. And I mean that in the best possible way where she seemed really cognizant and understanding of the impact that Garcelle essentially educated her about and didn't, it didn't feel defensive to me in any way. You know, and then you juxtapose that with whatever the fuck happened with Sutton. And it, it's sort of a little bit of 
night and day between the two of them. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, I think that Kyle felt like her intentions were not to do what Garcelle was saying that she did or how mm-hmm. Garcelle received it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what her intentions are, but I'm I'm saying based on I felt the same way that you did, that she felt mm-hmm. very comfortable to reopen that conversation because mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, the phrase like a hit dog will holler, which is what Sutton did. Um, it's for when you have a situation like that, you're generally not the one to bring it back up because you don't want to rehash it. But mm-hmm. Kyle initiated that conversation and she did it in front of Crystal, which said to me, like, you know, is kind of opening the door for is there more to this conversation that Mm -hmm. I can experience with you now Sutton put herself into the middle of what could have been a great Mm -hmm. opportunity for Crystal to open up about her experiences because it seemed as though Kyle was ready to hear that conversation Mm -hmm. but Sutton became so bothered probably by some of the social media or things that have been said to her um, based on her position in the world that she wanted to be very clear about what the parameters were going to be. But what she missed was that wasn't her space or opportunity to create those parameters. And therefore, when Crystal tried to have a conversation about her experiences, then Sutton completely shut it down, which was like the worst thing she could have possibly have done. I completely agree with you. And it felt like initially, tell me to please, my favorite phrase is like, please slide into my dams and tell me to go fuck myself. But it felt a little bit like Sutton was in the clumsiest, sloppiest way possible, almost trying to defend Garcelle in that moment, but also defend herself and truly I think misheard misunderstood it it genuinely doesn't matter and was wrong about what Crystal was trying to explain and it if you like watch her face because I've watched that scene a couple times she looked emotional before the moment actually happened. She was like nodding at some points. She looked, there was something a little off. It felt like in her head, she was already racing. So she, it, it, Crystal could have said anything. And I think Sutton would have reacted regardless and said something that was problematic, no matter what around this issue. But it, it put Crystal in a position where she could do she could do no right essentially with however she was trying to steer the conversation because I think Crystal was looking at nuance and Sutton was nowhere close to getting that point. Right. Um, These are not conversations. um, And this is with all due respect to our love of Bravo, but like Mm. the idea to me of mixing alcohol with (laughs) a long trip with a you know um on a with live cameras mm-hmm. <laughs> and having a serious conversation about race and social justice in our world is not going to end well for someone and it's just mm-hmm. a matter of who that person is going to be now i felt the same way i felt that going into the conversation sutton was very much for 
Garcelle, like, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that, you know, Kyle, I understand that you were going this way, but you have to be, you know, authentic in so many mm-hmm. words, like you can't be fake about it or, you know, whatever. And so she was kind of positioned like, that's my girl, you know, I'm going to speak up for Garcelle. But also there was this other thing that I felt like was playing at the same time. Crystal is a new housewife. Mm. This is set in second season. I felt like there was a jockeying of position for who was going to have that like, you know, come together moment with Kyle because mm-hmm. Kyle is the HBIC uh, for mm-hmm. you know all intensive purposes. So mm-hmm. I think that Sutton was trying to connect and have this moment with Kyle and she mm-hmm. was kind of bothered that Crystal was interjecting, although Crystal had even more of a right to interject than Sutton did at that moment. I'm just nodding throughout. That's such a good point. I, you are spot on. You're exactly right. Absolutely. And, you know, a conversation that I've had with, I don't remember which content creator it was, but, you know, ultimately all of the fights, if not, I would say majority, I wouldn't say all are, are essentially about the show. When the women are fighting on the show, it's t- the argument behind the argument, the uh, the subtitle underneath, the thing that you're not necessarily hearing, but that is actively going on, is a woman fighting for a position of power on these shows. And essentially the job security, the stability, the fandom that comes with it. And I think you are spot on. And what sort of probably startled Sutton all the more is when she is trying to assert power, control her voice. And Crystal absolutely does not let go. Like Crystal looks at her and she's like, I am going to wallop you in this moment, which was needed, deserved. And also like, holy shit. Garcelle and Kyle seem to have found a way to navigate um, a difficult Uh, a difficult moment in a way that opens up possibilities for their relationship. How the fuck are Sutton and Crystal going to get over this? Because it was what we're not talking. I mean, something happens that leads up to the ugly leather pants. We don't know if it's this, and this is going to be like the bottleneck essentially for the rest of the season or if this is just their introduction to each other and everything then falls apart how do they how do you think that they will get over this and then it'll be something else or do you think that this will be the undercurrent for them for their for their relationship I think it's going to be the undercurrent mm-hmm. it's very difficult especially when you feel like you're opening up in a very vulnerable place and like when Crystal said you know for so long I learned how to not react you know I learned not to speak up even though she felt deeply offended by racial stereotypes and things that were said to her once you open and I I know this personally once you open that Pandora's box you cannot go back in like it will kill your spirit so the idea that this blew up the way that it did and Crystal felt the need to speak out about it and really put Sutton in her place because she was out of line in that moment. She just Mm -hmm. was intentional Mm -hmm. or not. That's what it was. And so at the end of the day, for me, I would, it would take me quite some time to trust that person just because you have to get to a point where you're like, okay, is this a moment or is this the the defining moment? 
And when you mm -hmm. have a new relationship with someone, you don't have the privilege of really being able to have the totality of a person and bring it down to the sum of all their parts. You're only working with what they've given you. And right now Sutton gave her something that was kind of crappy, like very mm -hmm. crappy. It's wild. And yet they have handled themselves on social media allowing for, I think, the introduction back of nuance that regardless of what happens on next week's episode, it feels like in real time, Crystal is accepting Sutton's apology, which was posted, you know, posted her own response. And there's a way for them to navigate this moving forward that doesn't put the onus of pressure on some sort of match over the reunion, you know, like there might be a way that this is actually very helpful that it's being discussed on social to maybe take out a little bit of the pressure in the room, because at a certain point that can become suffocating, you know? Right. Yeah. I, and I also think that there's been this interesting, um, mix of people who are really mm -hmm. following these shows like mm -hmm. it's very much like oh I love that we're bringing real life uh, reality into these reality shows um, that we're representing um, mm -hmm. something different you know we actually have representation for women of color in all white casts like all of these things are happening and there are people who are like, yes, this is great. And then there are people who are like, this is tokenism. Uh, you know, I don't need a race lesson. And then there are people who are just like, I just want to watch this show, you know, mm -hmm. and then and disconnect the way that I'm normally doing. So I think that in order to kind of bring it all together in a way that feels palatable for people, mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. think this was the move that was made. Mm -hmm. And there was something I read this week or was it discussed on AG? I forget. But um, that I think Garcelle said in an interview that she essentially said she needed to have a conversation on camera with Kyle and she needed to have a conversation on camera with Lisa Renna. And I think knowing that and knowing that that was an example of the direction she wanted to take in her narrative this season and how she wanted to represent not herself to all black women but herself in how she handles these relationships with these women as a black woman is incredibly powerful incredibly powerful like she was like okay well you guys forced Denise off. I mean, and that's a little bit of a, that's a little bit of an opinion right there, but you guys forced Denise off of this show. Well, I am not going to let you get away with it. And also I have some fucking concerns of how the reunion was handled. And I'm not just going to have this be a fly on the wall side conversation at a cocktail party. I need a solo lunch. I think that's incredibly important and has helped us understand Garcelle even more as a result. I'll say this about her approach because mm -hmm. people make it seem like, oh, well, the moment that you say something is racially insensitive or, you know, label someone as having racist tendencies, then they've already lost quote the fight. Like mm -hmm. the person who is is actually saying it out loud one 
And mm-hmm. that's not true. Garcelle didn't win by simply stating her truth. Mm-hmm. There's backlash for her too. And mm-hmm. it's heavy. Sure. And mm-hmm. there are people who look like her who are giving her backlash for her lack of handling it the way that they feel like it should have been handled. Like no one knows what they're going to do in situations that come at you out of left field until you're mm-hmm. actually in that situation. And I'm sure there's a lot of times that she went home and thought, damn, I really should have said X, Y, and Z. But when you're in it, you aren't thinking about every mm-hmm. single thing, you know, facet and how it looks and how people are going to interpret it. So I'm sure a part of that was a vindication for her too. Like, I am strong enough to address the racism or racial insensitivity in the room. I am strong enough to say, this has been my experience. And I want you as someone who I'm trying to build a friendship with to at least have some compassion and empathy for my position, recognizing that it's not the same as yours. And Mm -hmm. I think by her saying, I need to do this on camera, that was her way of checking in with herself, but also people who she might have respect for who may have felt, you know, disappointed or not vindicated by the original scene. So it has to do with a lot of things that I don't think people really consider. How heavy has the pushback been against her? Well, I can tell you from like, I don't know, you know, exactly everything that has Mm -hmm. come her way. But, you know, I did I started a startup daytime talk show and you know we're in 51 percent of the country so it's not as big as a housewives platform but that's huge that's incredible and it's i mean it's it's great but i had to learn Like we're on, you know, Facebook and YouTube live. So we get that digital audience that talks Mm -hmm. a lot and then also broadcast and people will voice their concerns. So it's like when we're talking about racial issues for me, I know the pushback I receive and that comes from people who look like me and people who don't. So I can only imagine her having such a larger platform that the responsibility has to feel so heavy because I know sometimes it feels like too much of a burden for anyone to carry. How do you um, figure out how to navigate that yourself when you are having of when you are using your voice and also in the back of your head, possibly hearing the conversation that's going to occur regardless of what you say based on other people's perception of what it is that you're saying? How do you navigate that? Well, see, I don't navigate it in real time because if I navigated it in real time, then I wouldn't be able to speak with authenticity. Mm. I try not to just go off the cuff in terms of, um, you know, a lot of times we're in in arguments or debates, I'll say, and I, I think of something and I have to just. I have to tap into the intention behind Mm -hmm. the conversation because when we're talking about things that are so important and Mm -hmm. so much bigger than me, one, I never want to represent it like I'm speaking for all black people, but Mm -hmm. I am speaking it from a point of my experiences. So I always try to draw from my experiences to really illustrate why I'm representing this side of the disagreement or the discussion Mm -hmm. and that's all I can do um so when people come at me and they're like but you didn't do blah 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 and I'm like but that wasn't a part of my story and in the moment I can't think of every single thing that could possibly come out of these 
deeply, deeply complicated and historically contextualized conversations. Yeah, and social media somewhat celebrates the idea of an echo chamber. You are following people that you love, and typically those are people who are doing something that you love, and maybe it's you love it because it's so much similar to what you would do in that position or whatever else. So you end up getting surrounded, especially in a COVID-esque situation where you're really kind of depending on this for stimulation. You get surrounded by people who potentially think regardless of whether they look like you, they are possibly communicating in a way that you connect the most with likely because it has something to do with an agreement that you feel about what they are saying. And so when you hear someone else who's communicating in a way that is different from how you communicate or how the people who you follow communicate in your own little bubble, that's usually met with a lot of critique and people forget that it is okay to disagree. It's actually a very good and healthy thing. And when you take away that ideal or that idea even is more um, uh, a better match, what are you surrounded with? What are you then listening to? Are you just trying to listen to yourself? Like, how is that interesting? It's not interesting, but it's very comfortable for people. Yeah. And, you know, comfort is something, especially in the past year, I've been saying, like, I'm a little concerned about how people's interpersonal communications are going to return in a post-COVID mm -hmm. world because um, a lot of people who didn't have a ton of practice are just very out of practice at this point. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of echo chambers, I always find it it's such an interesting walk, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm a black girl from the West side of Chicago, but I went to, you know, from like fourth grade on, I went to a junior high and, you know, high school where I was one of like a handful of black people. Mm -hmm. So I went from a predominantly black neighborhood to a predominantly white neighborhood. And then I moved to the city for school. So, mm -hmm the interesting it's like for me i have noticed that i am just more comfortable navigating spaces like mm. i'm i'm comfortable i had to find a comfort everywhere i went because mm -hmm. if i were going to really fall into my discomfort in some of the situations i wouldn't have been able to be effective you know i wouldn't have been able to communicate or learn from those experiences but that's what I'm seeing is like a lot of people are just very uncomfortable being around people who don't think exactly like them. And I think in these situations, everyone's scared of being canceled. But for mm -hmm. me, I'm like, you know, when you think of people who have really been canceled, there has been a long standing pattern of behavior. The smoke has always been there. And then one mm -hmm. day you wake up and the whole house is on fire and people are tracking back. Like it was smoky. Then nobody said anything. <laughs> it was smoky back then. Nobody said anything. So I think that people should be less concerned about being canceled and more concerned about living in their best intentions and maybe listening once in a while. Because if you notice how a lot of these things go left, it's because someone wasn't actively listening. They were just 
talking. And when Sutton did that, had she just taken one moment to listen, something in her mind would have been like, oh, now's not the time. You know what? I'm going to get her tomorrow when we're doing mixers and she says something about 80s music. Then I'll go ham on her. You know, like not mm-hmm. about race. Like- <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's the difficulty when perception meets at the intersection of um, defense and sort of an allergy to vulnerability. It's like the perception of what is being discussed is often wrong. And then that meets up with your own God-given defenses related to whatever you have experienced or however you feel like you've been done wrong. And that is a really difficult recipe that's not going to end well for anyone it certainly will start by not ending well for that person who's not able to contextualize and it absolutely won't end well for the people who are surrounded by that kinds of energy because you never then get to have the convo I said this on the last AG but it's really and it's really stayed true for me that I am a little uncomfortable with the idea that the rest of this season when it comes to this moment in this conversation with Crystal and Sutton that it will always be or seemingly will be discussed through the lens of when Sutton exploded and not the fact that that Crystal was about to share her own experience and truth and will never get the purity of that moment back of a woman standing up and saying okay this is this is has been my experience this has been what's happened to me it's the Sutton narrative of it has sort of soiled this moment and then gets housewifeified you know because this is a very specific kind of show we know we have an idea of how this will play out from a conceptual point of view and it's going to be a little difficult it could end up being a little clunky as a result it's that it's true because like i said earlier it's like when someone violates that trust like you were Mm -hmm. to be vulnerable and that Mm -hmm. was violated before Mm -hmm. it could even start then Mm -hmm. that's going to take a long time for someone to really get into the circle of trust but it's also going to take some time for certain members of the audience to get into that circle of trust and i think at the end of the day Sutton kind of came across as someone who felt very comfortable um in like being garcelle's friend advocating in that way you know kind of um, getting buddy buddy with her and i think that she might have taken some liberties based on that comfort and that Mm -hmm. came back to bite her because even if you're trying to be a great ally there's still a space that you kind of have to navigate and exist in and for Sutton she just crossed that boundary like it wasn't enough to be there for Garcelle in that moment if you're not listening to what's happening on this side with Crystal Mm -hmm. I completely agree. And how do we juxtapose that against what happened with the Jersey reunion part three, where it wasn't, there was no perception of any moment of Teresa or Jen trying to understand what um, Marge experienced, where it was truly only, we would like to somehow amplify our perception based on really outdated and, 
misogynistic ideas of even what sexual harassment means. And we are happy to celebrate our weaponization of it while showing that we are better as women. We are better protectors. We are better defenders of ourselves. In Teresa's eyes or in Jen's eyes, I'm just going to use this to slut shame the fuck out of you. Because while you maybe were taking advantage of or something with this boss, there was a boss before. And when are we going to talk about that? So maybe I'm apologizing for slut shaming you about this moment, which was maybe a quote unquote me too. But what about that? Yes. And also that you write about. I mean, there is a different kind of tension and narrative that's happening in Jersey. And I think it comes from such a lack of curiosity that is maybe connected to like Sutton's instinctive lack of curiosity in learning or something else. Okay. I like where you're going with that. And I'm following it. I'm following it like a flow chart, but let me, (laughs) let me throw out please theory because do it. I already agree. I already agree. I know I already agree. (laughs) So you notice with Marge and um, Jackie. Jackie. Mm -hmm. Marge and Jackie are talking about protecting their careers. Their careers were their first babies, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. With Teresa and Jennifer, their first babies were their first babies, right? (laughs) So they're protecting the home. So it's interesting to me, not surprising, but interesting, that Teresa doesn't see the correlation between the Marge and um, Jackie trying Mm -hmm. to defend what they worked so hard for and Mm -hmm. trying to maneuver and navigate that space, although they have been violated... Mm-hmm. And they never should have been in that position with her situation with Joe because her ex-husband dogged her misogynistic to all hell. Yeah. We know. Mm-hmm. I mean, even mm-hmm. if she never caught him, he was cheating. Okay. 100%. He had 100%. zero respect for her and mm-hmm. would do it on national television every time he could get. And she would defend him mm-hmm. to the end. So mm-hmm. how do you not see that we all, it's almost like when I say, I, I'll say infidelity. Like everybody wants to talk about who slept with who. Like, don't you know there's financial infidelity? There is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like just the cloak of silence infidelity. There's mm-hmm. all sorts of infidelities. So when it comes to violations in the places that you have held most protected, there's all sorts of ways that can go down. And we have to have empathy. We just do. The comparison of the first babies is so good and so spot on. That's exactly what it is. And they just skip over it because they don't understand it. And I, I just feel like they're both very, uh, I, I don't even know what the, there's a complete lack of curiosity that I see in both Jen and Tree that I think unites them together into this like very wild frame of reference that they've maybe both experienced and both pulled on from their lives that does happen to be super outdated and wild. And then you compare that to whatever Jen and like, I feel like Teresa and Jen are not hearing or listening to Marge and Jackie, who in this context, I do think we're listening 
to what the other couch was saying and just happened to be super fucking horrified. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. Um, well, I think that with the Teresa and Je- or uh, Teresa and Jennifer mm-hmm. situation, they both really understand the assignment. Like they understand yes. the assignment that, you know, Teresa's not going to change because if Teresa changed, then she's not really doing the assignment that has really paid her and mm-hmm. made her a household name. That being said, you know how, like, I'm 40, so I'm always like, okay, so I'm, you know, I grew up in the analog world, and then I came of age in the digital world. Mm. Well, those two, Teresa and Jennifer, came up in old world Mm -hmm. and now have new world, and they're trying to merge those things together. And I think so many things in the old world, like uh, your husband, just like you not knowing what to sign, just, you know, you just sign things because Mm -hmm. your husband said so, Um, you know, things like your husband saying terrible things, but you also have this lock clad thing because, you know, it's about the bag and you got to secure the bag as a family. Mm -hmm. Like all of these things really seem to play out in those two women's lives. And it's like the, like the preservation of that old world, but bringing it in the new world. I mean, even with Louis, like if Louis isn't a nightclub promoter from the nineties <sighs> and early two thousands, you know, like it, it, everything is very nostalgic when you get mm-hmm. to those two, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where do you put Melissa in all of this? Oh, uh, Melissa is okay. Melissa is so complicated. I like Melissa. I know a lot of people are not, too fond of her but I think that Melissa from the time that she came in was really the only way that Teresa was going to be shook mm-hmm. and she doesn't want to admit it but it comes mm-hmm. up all the time anytime there's an issue with Teresa and Melissa that's at the fundamental like she didn't tell me she was coming on the show she just <laughs> yes! showed up how dare you not you know come to me first mm-hmm. um, but the relationship with Melissa and Joe has to be so relatable to so many people. And I don't see how people are missing it. Like, I don't have children, but I I talk to my friends who, you know, are mothers and they decided to leave their career and stay at home and raise their children. And now they're trying to get their footing back now that their children are of a certain age and they feel like they lost a piece of them. And then the, the dynamic with the husband, like how do I continue to, you know, support him, but also build this dream because there is this major feeling that like, okay, if I'm staying at home, even if I'm taking care of the kids, like you're, in type A woman, like you want to be great at everything. It's not even about like gender roles at that point. You're just trying mm-hmm. to be like the best version of yourself you can possibly be. So when these women decide that they're going to go back into the workforce and pursue this new dream, you need a partner who is going to be as rooting for you as you've been rooting for them. And I think a lot of people mm-hmm. find themselves in this space and it's complicated and messy. I am so obsessed with you. I cannot get on. I could talk to you for literal hours about this. You are 
like the perfect Andy's Girls guest. You get it. You're there are it's like rife with teachable moments of shit I haven't thought about. Like the analog. Fuck me. I that's such a good point. My sweet Christ. Like that's that's pretty good. Can I ask you just one quick question because I am truly dying to know this. We started off the convo by talking about like the spiritual housewife or housewifery of it all. Do you have a housewife trigger? Do you have someone who you're like I just can't with this person. There's something about it that triggers you that it's an old, new, current, former, whatever, where there is something about them that gnaws at you, where you're, it's unexplained, or maybe it is explainable and you know why it is, but it's hard to navigate humanity when discussing person X. Is there someone that comes to mind for you? Uh, my immediate thought is Ramona. Like, <gasps> really? I just, I... Because, you know, the first time I've ever live tweeted has been the premiere Real Housewives of New York. And I try to do it every week, although last week my mama was in town. You know, I saw her spend it with her. Um, so I missed it. But I'll out. be back this week. Um, <laughs> so I, Ramona is just so willfully ignorant. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not even, it's like on purpose. Mm -hmm. And the way that she just like, you know, she has this just uh, thing about her where mm -hmm. she believes that she's above it all. But at the same time, we see how vulnerable and weak she can be at moments. So it's like mm -hmm. sometimes I'm just like, Ugh, and then sometimes I feel kind of sorry for her. But then I'm mm -hmm. upset with myself for feeling sorry for her. You know, it's just it's it's a weird dynamic. Now, Lisa Renna on the other coast, mm -hmm. I Lisa's good TV. Okay, she's amazing television, great casting choice, but I don't know if I ever could be the girl that just decides I'm gonna throw a friend under the bus the way that Lisa Renna won't even think twice before she backs that bitch up. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, that is like, oh girl, like, no, no. So those two, I mean, there's a few others that can come up, but those are the most dynamic ones from coast to coast. I mean, the fact that Verna hasn't come up in conversation this episode, the episode and in real time is making these kinds of moves on social media where she's like doubling down on her friendship with Erica Jane. And I don't know what is happening with her, but it feels like she has made some bad investments and they're not paying off as a result. You know what I'm saying? Like you thought you were investing in Denise until you flipped and changed and you like sold that stock. And guess what? Your own has plummeted as a result. And so now she's trying to struggle to figure out like, I feel like she has no choice but to double down with Erica Jane because who else does she have to align with? Garcelle has told her, Garcelle's like openly questioning her and saying like, how on earth do you think that we are closer than your relationship with Denise and Lisa Rinna trying to rewrite friendship history. It is an awkward moment and may end up being an awkward season for her. I'm not quite sure. 
Yeah, she deserves it at that point. She does. She didn't think she thought she was going to get away with it. And every moment of this season so far has been a reminder to her that she's actually not. And it's curious to me that her saving grace is the stuff with Erica Jane, because I would think this will ultimately bring down whomever is loudly defending her or trying to align with her in this when we find out more and it's like okay well you thought this was maybe gonna save you or distract and it might just amplify all the shit that we've already seen it's definitely a hail mary it Mm -hmm. seems uh very orchestrated out of necessity Mm -hmm. but that's the thing it's like we always see if if it's like you stay on long enough you're gonna see a lot of things So, yeah, I mean, it's probably going to come back like, you know, she had a true friend who was invested in protecting her and now she had to manufacture this friendship and it could blow up in her face and it likely will because nobody works harder than the Bravo editors. Okay, nobody. Nobody. And um, shout out, by the way, to Ramona Singer, who took to her Instagram stories this weekend to show her brunch her meal that she was having people over to the world and said, and I quote, I'm having a, you know, essentially a diverse brunch with people of all ages and sizes is what she said. I, I truly hope that whomever she thought she was being inclusive about was not also in that room. She literally like pointed to her like fucking potato condition, like bagel shit or whatever. And was like, I'm having people of all ages and sizes over. I mean, it's like, do you recoil or do you cackle? I do a little bit of both. See, this is what happened, right? Sonia was like, look at the diversity of my fish in my pond. I have a black fish. And Ramona was like, hold my purse. Look at the diversity of my dinner table. Truly. Shapes, colors. Can you imagine saying, I have all shapes in my house right now? And she's like, look at me. Like, I am such, I am such a good person. I let them through the door, even though they look, and you know in her head, she's like, even though they look that way, I still let them in. And now I'm going to say it's because I'm great. Ramona, what the fuck? It's why she will always have job security, even when she won't. There will always be a path path back for her because you can't write this at a certain point. It's so warped. You just can't write it. You just can't write it. Listen, if I could script a conversation that would be sublime, it would be the one that we just had. I just think you are... So fantastic. When I tell you you're welcome back anytime, I truly mean it. I will be sliding into your DMs in about 90 minutes, possibly two and a half hours to be like, when are you coming back? Can you tell the people a little bit about um, Daily Blast Live and the comeback or rather comeback with Erica Cobb? Yes. Well, first of all, Sarah, thank you so much for having me. I am just like, as I mentioned at the beginning of the call, this is a true honor. You are doing amazing things, providing this dialogue for this Bravo community because we are a community and we're very diverse. Okay. We Mm -hmm. come in all Mm -hmm. shapes, sizes, colors, creeds. Mm -hmm. Um, I, (laughs) 
<laughs> I love talking about Bravo. I do it on my daytime talk show, Daily Blast Live, which I mentioned airs on, on network in 51% of the country. But we're Amazing. also live um, from starting at 1030 Mountain until 630 Mountain um, every Monday through Friday on Facebook and YouTube Live. So you can watch the show at any point. And then every Sunday, I drop a new comeback with Erica Cobb, which is my brand, my podcast. Um, and it's really about coming back from adver- um, adversity. Mm. So I went through a divorce, bankruptcy, unemployment. Um, mm. And I bring in people who are testimony teachers about their own life experiences or people who can help you with your comeback. So I'm always happy to welcome a new comeback kid into the community. Oh my God, so great. Also, that just the branding of the comeback as it being, I mean, a literal comeback experiences and stories. So good. Very into that. Gotta tell you, very into that. And how can people follow you online? Um, I'm at Erica Cobb, that's E-R-I-C-A, Cobb, C-O-B-B, um, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the things, Clubhouse. Find me all over social media at Erica Cobb or my online home, comeback.tv. And guys, speaking of online homes, I hope you're making room for patreon.com slash girls. There are three motherfucking new episodes up. And I swear to God, the last 48 hours, actually, there might be four in the last 48 hours, including a deep dive that was recorded literally seconds after the finale of Mayor of East uh would know East Town, <laughs> mayor of whatever, um, because I was so, I was freaking out about, have, did you watch mayor? Did you watch mayor of East whatever? It's, it's, it's dark. It's dark and it's sad and it's very, very good. Seven episodes. You can get through it in a day. Real, just like, just hydrate, honestly, because some tears might be coming. Um, and a conversation with Joe Gunn. You guys know him as Joe Gunn 90 on uh, Instagram. We did a very deep dive of all things Bethany when it comes to her spinoffs, the HBO Max experience, dot, 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 and so much more. A conversation with Leah Palmieri from Decider.com, a satchel spectacular. And it was really a week for the books over at Patreon.com slash Andy's Girls, the number one way to support the pod. It's me a support of the pod. Follow me on social, Instagram at Dame Galley. You know how to spell it. Dame, like that thing that I think I am. And then Galley. Rhymes with Sally. Kathy Lee Gifford told me forever ago. She's like, she was um, uh, hosting an event that I produced. And so she was like, okay, so the phonetics of, and I said, Gally. And she's like, Gally likes Sally. And I was like, oh, well, that's what I'm using from now on for the rest of my life. So thank you so much for that. Um, Guys, thanks for listening, uh, subscribing, which I know you have, rating the pod five stars, which I know you will do. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on Andy's Girls at the Cobb. I'm like beyond with you. Truly beyond. I will come back anytime. You know, I'm the comeback queen. You are, and you're coming back probably tomorrow. So thank you so much for agreeing to that. This is our um, oral friendship contract, and uh, Cynthia Bailey and I agree that that is a binding document. So there we are. Guys, stay safe, sane, get vaccinated if you can, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.